morning we've been singing about God's faithfulness and how good he is to us. And one of my favorite hymns is, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And uh, it is found, as we just read in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 and 23, and Lord, mercies are new every morning and great is his faithfulness. And, uh, and, we, and we love to live in that place, don't we? We love to live in God is good and God is faithful and God is for us. But you know, I, I wish that I could tell you that, that life is, once you say yes to Jesus, life is one big mountaintop experience, but, but it's really not, is it? You know, one of the things that, that I have learned is in Lamentations chapter three, it starts off with Jeremiah being pretty negative about life. He, he complains a lot. In fact, he uses some, some terminology like this. You know, God has made me chew on gravel. He's like a bear hiding behind a tree waiting to rip me apart. Uh, he, he shoots every sharp arrow at me, looking to destroy me. Over and over, verse after verse, is compounded issues and problems and pains that a person goes through. But the culmination of all of this is this I remind myself. God's mercies are new every day and great is your faithfulness. But it comes as a result of having to go through some, a, a lot of difficulty. So when we join together, it's really great to put on our Jesus faces and smile and sing about how good life is and great is thy faithfulness. But sometimes life's about chewing up gravel, and it's hard. Sometimes, sometimes there's things that you have to go through and things that you have to, to deal with that, that you'd never choose on your own. Such is the story of Esther. Today we're going to be in chapter 4 of the book of Esther. If this is the first message that you've heard, uh, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the other few, three, that you'll be able to find on, online there, and it will make this one a lot more sense. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time catching up, but what we see in Esther chapter 4 is that the Jews have just heard, they just found out that from a news report that their lives are, are about to end in 11 months from now. That the king has just ordered a decree that any Persian can slaughter any Jew on a certain day 11 months from now. Now, the Jews have experienced this multiple times. In fact, how many times in Scripture do all the baby boys get annihilated up to a certain age? And so it's not new to Judaism but it's new to every generation who has to endure it, especially the people that they, that they love. Now, this decree goes into specific detail about how the Persians or anybody else could kill, destroy, and annihilate all the Jews, young and old, men and women, children, on a specific day. Now, I don't know about this. I'm assuming that this is true. I can't I can't see another way if, in a, and I know we're civilized, we're not like these barbarians, but just listen for a second. If you knew, and, and you didn't have Christ, you know, there was no transformation, you're purely selfish. I mean, after all, look at the king, right? Look at Xerxes and the kind of life he, he lives, and he's our model for what we want to be when we grow up. So if this guy is charting the course and 11 months from today, I get to kill an entire subset group of people to the king's pleasure, it's probably going to be a pretty rough 11 months leading up to that for those people. 
It's not going to be a, hey, so in 11 months we're going to kill you. But until then, why don't you all come over for supper Tuesday night and we'll get to know each other. Well, two things are for sure. If, if in 11 months I think that you might kill me, I ain't coming to your house Tuesday for supper. So these folks are going to be bullied. They're going to be mistreated. They're probably going to have a lot of their property seized. They're probably going to have their homes taken, their incomes taken. They're going to be mistreated in a lot of different ways leading up to that moment. So, again, the king makes the law, and when the king makes a law, the law cannot be revoked. So if you were a Jew and you just found out that you've been living in slavery to these people for decades, a hundred years, and all of a sudden they've passed a law that they're going to kill you in 11 months, how do you feel? What do you do? Put yourself in that position for just a second. You are already in bondage to them, and now threatened to be killed. They're going to be targeted, they're going to be bullied, they're going to be harassed, and they're going to be helpless. And if Mordecai is any indication of the spiritual well-being of these people, they're living like sheep without a shepherd. They've got nowhere to draw support. They've got no temple to go to. They've got no priest to offer sacrifices They've got no one to intercede on their behalf. They are completely helpless. So in, when, in Matthew chapter 9, I believe it's verse 36, it says, When Jesus looking out and he saw them, you're going to get tired of hearing this, but I want us to get it. When Jesus saw them from the mountain, it says that he was moved with compassion. Because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. So the compassion comes from seeing people as sheep without a shepherd. But the first thing that he had to do was he had to notice them. Once once they got his attention, he was able to move closer into their needs, into their brokenness. And all of that brokenness could go away if they would just say yes to them. In another passage, it says that he would take them as a hen takes their chicks under their wings for protection, but they would not. And so Jesus sees the remedy, but they would not. And so what is the fix? What is the very first thing that Jesus tells his disciples to do? Hey, go sell all your stuff and give them new clothes and give them food and give them houses and give them welfare. No, here's here's what he says. He saw them, moved with compassion, sheep without a shepherd. They were harassed and they were helpless and they didn't know it. And Jesus said, pray. That's the thing that you do, is you pray. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send laborers to to help them find and follow me. That's the answer. So the disciples begin to pray for them. And who did God choose to end up go? He chose the the ones that were praying. They developed a heart. Now, 
I say all that to say that fits perfectly right here because if we were to look at the Jews right now, they, we would be moved with compassion because they are like sheep without a shepherd. They are harassed and they are helpless. And what is the remedy? Jesus tells us only 500 years later, what is the remedy? Pray that someone would give them the good news. Now, they haven't heard this verse yet. They don't know this. But in 2 Peter chapter 3 is a very similar decree that we should be listening to. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. You see that? It's a very similar decree. It's that, that there is a day coming when we're all going to be wiped out. There is a last day coming, and it will be judgment day, and every deed that we've done will be exposed. But we look at the Jews, and they knew in 11 months, hey, we've got 11 months to prepare ourselves. The difference between that decree and this decree is we don't know. This decree comes as a thief in the night. But there is a day coming, folks, when we will experience the same experience that they did. Our time is fixed. So if you were a Jew and you found out you have an 11 months, let me, let me, let me step up one just a little more. I've got thinking about this at Easter. If you had 24 hours left to live, what would you do? I don't know. And, you, and honestly, you don't know. We, we don't really know. I think that there's some things that are in our top 10 that we would want to do. I probably don't want to spend my 24 hours on a plane getting to some exotic place. It's probably going to be reduced down to spending time with the people I love the most and saying those last words and, you know, figuring up how to clean up the, you know, if, if I had 24 hours, I'd try to make sure that my family knows where everything is at and how to, how to take care of all of that. No offense to my family, but the same would, happen, would, would be happening if, if my wife had 24 hours. We're just trying to make sure that nobody has, has to do any work in my place. What would I do if I had 24 hours to live? Would I laugh or would I cry? Would I spend or would I give? I don't know. I think we think we know. Let me tell you what Jesus would do. He'd wash feet. That's what he, he would bend over and wash feet. It seems like a strange thing for the king of kings to do with 24 hours left on earth. What would I do if I had 11 months? I don't know. But I tell you this, I probably would make different decisions than I make now. How much worse is it not to know how much time you have left? To be quite honest... It, is, it may not be 11 months. It may be 11 minutes. It may be 11 years. But I know this. There is a day fixed. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2 and 3, it says this. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. There you go. Peter said that. Now Paul is saying it. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. 
Jesus, Paul is probably talking about the ending of Jerusalem, but he's telling people that you have a last day that's coming. The world is ending. We don't know when it is. The Father and the Father alone knows. But all of our works are going to be exposed, and each of us will stand before God and give an account for our lives. I just want you to think about that for a moment. How would your decision-making change if you knew if you knew what day you're going and, and how much different it is when you don't know. I just, I think we don't spend enough time thinking about that. I think we spend all of our time trying to receive and trying to make a comfort and ease and pleasure and, and trying to distract ourselves from these two verses that say, there's a day, there's a decree already been made. So when the Jews that are at the capital here in Susa hear this tragic news, it says at, the, at verse, uh, verse of chapter 3, verse 15, it says the very last thing, but the city of Susa was thrown into confusion. What do you think? <laughs> Wait a minute. We, we're living simultaneously side by side with these people, and now all of a sudden they're going to kill us? Confusion is the result of living without true faith in God. That's that's my definition of confusion. The only times in my life where I've ever been confused is where I didn't trust God the way I should have. Because if you trust God the way you should, there wouldn't be much room for confusion because it really, whatever I'm confused about doesn't really matter because I know God's got it. So confusion is a result of living without true faith in God. That's why they're confused because they're living without true faith in God. This isn't the first time that the Jews have been in captivity. They were in captivity for 430 years while they were in Egypt. Remember that? To us, it doesn't seem that long ago when you're comparing to Esther. I mean, look, it's that many pages. That's not that long ago. Okay, it was a thousand years. But that's a lot of, that's a lot of pages now. But you remember what God said through that? How many times did God say to them, stand firm, I've got this. Stand still, let me work. Fear not, let me go before you. I'm going to do these things so that the nations may know God is clearly at work in their country, in their lives, in their nation, but they cannot see him in Esther. Obviously, God is at work. He is silent while their enemies are winning. And their hope is God, make us the majority. That's why Pharaoh was willing to let him go as they are starting to multiply to become such a, a huge crowd, even in Joseph's time in Egypt. They had gotten so large. He had to move them outside the city because they were taken over. God, give us that kind of favor. We want to become the majority. Quite honestly, there is a lot of confidence that comes when you're the majority. Fortunately for us, for almost 300 years, we've experienced that in our country. No more. So what do we do? We want to be the majority. God, give us favor and let us be the majority. We don't care about lost souls. We just want to be the loudest voice. So they cry out again. Make us the majority. Give us some favor. What do they get? A death sentence. The Persians just keep gaining territory. They just keep taking over provinces. Now we read the promises. I, I can assure you that the Jews were reading the promises. 
But reading the promises and believing the promises are not the same thing. Oh, they were well aware of what Abraham received from God. They, they knew full well they can get out. But I'll get you out. Now, what about you? Are you ever going to step into that and say, wait a minute, Lord, you're leaving me with no option but to trust you? <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, he does the same thing here. In fact, when it says that in verse 15 that they were in confusion... That's that same word, entangled. That word's only found three times in all of Scripture. Exodus chapter 14, where God set them up for that. Esther chapter 3, where God is setting them up for that. And Joel has a reference about the cattle that doesn't have a pasture land to feed in because they don't have a shepherd. It's an interesting word. But among all those things, we need to understand that sometimes in our lives, not just as a nation, but as a people, God sometimes orchestrates and allows times of confusion. Times of, I don't know what to do and I don't know what God is doing. Maybe God doesn't care anymore. Does God even love me? Maybe I'm beyond that. I don't know what God is doing. How is God at work? I'm confused. And then God does something that you didn't expect. But if you're in the middle of confusion, the story's not over. His silence cannot be mistaken for his absence. It's just preparing us to grow and to have victory. So Esther chapter 4 begins, now we're at Esther chapter (laughs) 4, begins by telling us how Mordecai responds. And I'm going to work through this very quickly. Uh, Let's go ahead and read in verse 1. Mordecai learned all that had been done. Mordecai tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the midst of the city, and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and decree reached, there was a great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. So Mordecai is finally beginning to get some things. He's starting to understand his brokenness. He's coming to the end of himself. And he rents his clothes in two and he puts on sackcloth and ashes. This was a Jewish form of mourning and grieving, despair before the Lord. And he gets right up to the, the, the king's gate. Now remember, he works here. He works just on, on the inside of the king's gate. But rather than changing his clothes and stepping on in to be heard, no, Grief is where I'm choosing, but I want to be right here because I want you to see my grief. It would be so easy for Mordecai to just change clothes. Anyway, let's pick up. Verse 4. Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her the queen was deeply distressed and sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he wouldn't accept them. Then Esther called for Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed to tend her, ordered him to go to Mordecai and learn what this was and why it was. Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him all that had happened to him, the exact sum of money. Remember, we're talking about more than about $248 billion that Haman Listen, this is how you always remember this guy. He is devious. And when you see him coming, you go, hey, man. I'm telling you, that's how you can always remember his name. He is an Agagite. 
All right? That's all right. That's just trying to break the tension. So <clears throat> he's told him the exact sum of money that Haman had promised. By the way, so this 10,000 talents, that's 750,000 pounds of silver. Crazy. Mordecai told him all that had happened, the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay the king's treasures for the destruction of the Jews. Listen, you're not going to counter that. The king that will fall a bribe for that, you, you're not going to say, well, we'll give you $248.49 billion if you don't do it. You can't, counter it. you can't counter that money. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction. He might show it to Esther, explain it to her, and command her to the king and to go to the king and to beg his favor and to plead with him. On behalf of her people, Hathath went and told Esther and Mordecai uh, had said. And Esther spoke to Hathath and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servant and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, well, I've not been called to come to the king for these 30 days. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think to yourself that in this king's palace that you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. Listen to this. This is my favorite part. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Finally, there is some sober-mindedness among these compromisers. Finally, something has gotten their attention where they can reprioritize and restructure their thinking and restructure their lives. Now, I'm not going to work through all of this as we just read. This is pretty much tells its own story, but a couple things that I want to, that I want to bring out. Esther has made a choice, and that is to find favor with the wrong kingdom. She moves in there with the king, and that exists for some time. Now, let me give you the quick timeline of this. King Xerxes has now been king for 13 years. It moved by pretty quick. He'd already been king three years before he had the big uh, shindig. After that, Esther didn't come into his life for four more years after Vashti was deposed. They have now been married for five years. This isn't, he knows her quite well. They've, they've experienced their fifth anniversary. Just to give you the timeline, the story moves so quickly it's hard to catch up to there. The story of Esther only lasts 10 years from start to finish. I only say that to say this, Esther isn't a newcomer. She understands how the king works. She's been living with him for some time and it seems like, at least for the last 30 days, she's just another pretty face in the kingdom. She's just become another Vashti to King Xerxes. So, 
Because of her choice, she is constantly distracted by the things of this world. And there is a royal decree that goes out from the palace that all Jews will be killed in 11 months. Esther doesn't know it. That's how secluded she was from her people. She was able to live in the comfort of her own palace, worried about her own distractions, her own makeup, her own clothes, her own food, completely disinterested, I'm not sure, in the plot of God's promise. So you hear that her cousin, Mordecai, her older cousin, old enough to be her dad cousin, Mordecai is outside the city gates and he won't come in. He refuses to come in. In fact, he's out there and he's making a spectacle of himself that the big thing is that that these women come back to Esther and say, hey, your cousin, that guy you talk to all the time, he is outside and he's, I, I think, cut a shine, is that something you do in Arkansas? Cut Anybody cut a shine, is that something? He's making a spectacle of himself. And she says, oh yeah, we do that sometimes. It's in the law. You have to do that sometimes. We do it from time to time because the Old Testament law says that you have to have repentance and you have to... So here's what we always do before. You know, you tear your clothes and sit in sackcloth and ashes. So here, just take these clothes out to him. He'll be fine. This is what we always do, just replace the clothes. His biggest need. She overlooks it. This is so normal because he's going through the spiritual motions. She's experienced it before. Give him these clothes. What does he do? This isn't about clothes. Our need is spiritual. Our need isn't clothes and food those sorts of things. So, listen, Hathak comes to Mordecai and he says, hey, here's the clothes. I don't want the clothes, but I want you to go tell Esther she needs to go in there to the king and tell the king to undo this. Well, Esther, you need to undo this, Mordecai said. I can't. Do you not understand that I've not even seen him in 30 days? She hasn't seen him in 30 days. Well, you need to tell her that if this happens... She's going to die just like what? All the what? Other Jews. Wait a minute. Nobody knew she was a Jew. And the man who said don't tell anybody just outed her. Because he was desperate. Desperate people do desperate things. Don't trust them. The guy who told her conceal it for these five years just said, you better tell her pressure's coming. She said, but the law is, if, if you go to the king, if you're not asked for, you die right, right there at the door. Well, unless, unless the king holds the scepter out. I hadn't seen him in 30 days. Tells you how important I am to him. And this is what he says. Well, you tell Esther. Do nothing then. But God would use you right now. God has placed you in this position. Now, he doesn't say God, but it's obviously Mordecai has just come to himself. Deliverance will come for God's people. For the man who has, up until this moment, has used every compromise in the book to deliver himself. I've ran out of options. There is no plan B. Esther's it. And if you refuse, God will just use something else. 
Because I remember God's promises. I remember when Sarah was 90, God kept his promise. I remember when, when Isaac was laying on the altar with Abraham's hand up with the knife in his hand, God kept his promise. I remember 90 years ago when those three Hebrew boys, not very far from this place, went into the fiery furnace and he gave them himself and kept his promise. And I remember 40 years ago when Daniel was in the lion's den and God kept his promise. All of a sudden, Mordecai begins to remember all of these things. Every time that God's people have been in this place, God has delivered. And Esther, who knows but that God wouldn't use you and all of the compromises that we've made in this moment to deliver his people. But you can bow out if you want. God is still going to do what he wants, but he's willing to partner with you. If you'll just say yes. Mordecai, that wishy-washy compromiser, and now all of a sudden, it's not about Haman, it's not about Saul, it's not about Agag, it's not about all of those things. It's about what's God going to do for our people. And Esther went, <clears throat> can't argue with that. So quick. That, that transformation occurs so quick. She's like, wait a minute. So all of my life has been a compromise from Hadassah to Esther, from Mordecai. Don't tell anybody who you are. We're just going through the motions. We're not going back to Israel to live. And we're not going to celebrate Passover. And we're not doing the feast days. And we're not doing any of those things. We're just going to try to pretend that we're Persian. Just like that. All of it come flooding back. And God uses ashes to make beautiful things. Everything that's in your past that you think would disqualify you, everything that you've ever done and you got away with it, even the things that you've done and you didn't get away with it, there is not one thing that disqualifies you for such a time as this. All you got to do is remember God's faithfulness. How quick does his credibility, do you know early on when, when the, the men said, go out and find all of the beautiful young women, there, there, was, there was no qualifications, all the beautiful young women and bring them to me and I'm going to see which one I choose. <clears throat> In that moment, Esther was under no threat and Mordecai said, don't tell anybody who you are. And now she's under incredible threat and tell everybody who you are. So weird. Just we need to realize our desperation for that day that's coming. And we need to work like everything to set as many people free as we can. Because one after the other, they're dying. And they're going straight into a Christless eternity. And we need to feel the pressure of that. Because God would use all your brokenness, all of the things that you wish you hadn't have done, all the compromises of your life gives you a unique, spectacular story to set captives free. But you know what? It's our unholiness that separates us from the king. 
Oh, we would love to go to the king. Even, you know, I mean, I would love nothing more to be able to just go into the, to the father and say, hey, here's, here's my list of things I want. But you can't go into the father. Do you not know, even in the Old Testament, anybody that came into the presence of the father is consumed immediately. You can't have access to the father. You need a mediator. You need a mediator. You need someone who has favor with the king, who can stand in on your behalf, who will take the curse themselves, unless the scepter is extended to them. And if the scepter is extended to the one who has favor, then everyone under the curse gets freed. And I want to remind you that Jesus chose the sinless one, not an Esther, a better Esther, chose to stand in between us and the king and to ask favor on our behalf. And the father, it pleased the father to crush the son so that we might have entrance into the throne room ourselves, And we have become the righteousness of Christ. So this morning, I just want to simply remind you of who you are because I'm, I'm terrified in this world of compromises and comfort and ease and pleasure and distractions where we're trying to satisfy the needs of people just by giving them a new set of clothes. And we have forgotten the spiritual brokenness that's all around us. Oh, God will deliver. God will rescue. But he wants to partner with you. And who knows? Everything about your life that's brought you confusion may be answered in God using your brokenness for his ultimate glory. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you for... for there's nothing that we can do, nothing that we have done that can thwart your ability to use us. I just pray that we remember that you're faithful. We get, we get caught off sides a lot when we get desperate. We get fearful. We forget your promises. Oh, we go to church and we, we might even read the Bible. We, we know all the words. But when difficulty comes into our life, we are thrown off balance and we despair and we crumble and we criticize and put on our sackcloth and ashes and just... Lord, I pray that we would recognize that only through Jesus, only through Jesus, is the scepter extended toward us. And, and I think of, of Mordecai, who was not a great spiritual leader, and how quick his coal became diamond. And because of his credibility, how quickly that diamond created a diamond in Esther. How quick she was to know what to do. Pray, fast, three days. Here's what we're going to do. Seek direction from the Lord. But even when, we're si when, when you're silent, Lord, it doesn't mean you're gone, you're absent, you don't care. 
It's just that, well, I've realized, I think we've realized that it's through difficulty, it's through the things we don't want to experience. Those are the times that we, that we grow and I know, Lord, that the, it seems that the world's not going to get better. There is a day coming that's fixed for us. And yet, while we wait, Lord, may we feel the draw to ministry, the draw to pray, the draw to lead, the draw to come to ourself and to realize the draw as that prodigal son comes to himself in the pigsty. And Lord, may we bring as many people to the Father's house as we can just by simply revealing to them the transformation that's in our own life. And Lord, don't let us get hijacked in the distractions of this world and the compromises and the garbage. Any excuse, any excuse that we've ever used that keeps us away from you has brought brokenness into our life. So I pray that today we'd be courageous enough to set down all those excuses, to put aside all of that brokenness and to experience your full rescue, your full recovery. And as a result of that recovery, we can win as many broken people as we can to your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Will you stand with me, please? This morning, you, you may be here and, and, and you don't follow Jesus. I mean, you, you have brokenness. You know, you know brokenness. Your life, you're, you're able to identify confusion, entanglements. But I wonder if you'd be bold enough to say, I'm going to try Jesus the one thing I've not tried I've not trusted him with my life maybe today would be a day you would say I'm going to put my faith and confidence in Jesus Christ maybe this morning you are a Christian but you're living in Persia you've adopted Persia all the promises of Persia instead of all the promises of the King of Kings. This morning, will you set aside those distractions? And would you say today, I'm going to choose not just to hear the words, but to live the words, to trust the promises. So I'm going to invite you, if you would, if you want to make a decision to follow Jesus, or to trust Jesus, if you would, to come. Chris, if you would lead us. And I beg you to make a decision today. I, and here's what I already know. And, and if you've not even read Esther, it doesn't matter. Here's what I already know. When you come to the Father because of what Jesus has done, you deserve death. But the, the scepter is already extended when you knock on the door.
Lord, we're so grateful that we have entry, not just at the gate, but into the throne room. And therefore, we come boldly before the throne of grace that we might find grace. So Lord, I just pray that your blessing would be upon everybody under the sound of my voice, everyone under the sound of your word. And may we have favor with you and may we not just experience life in you, but may others be able to experience your life through us. May we recognize our partnership with you to have compassion and to pray to notice the brokenness all around us and to speak the transformation that we've experienced to be able to give that away freely. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Just before you go, we give you two quick words of reminder. When you go out these doors, you'll find the bottles for the babies for Choices Pregnancy Resource Clinic. Uh, so feel free, please, to pick to pick those up and fill those up and get them back to us uh, or to her, either either way. And, uh, and secondly, we want to say a very happy Mother's Day. So uh, today, as soon as service is over, uh, we'd like to help you celebrate mothers. If you want to come and get a cupcake and give it away to a special uh, lady, they don't have to be your mother. We just want to celebrate people. So uh, let me just encourage you to celebrate each other while we have opportunities to do that. You are dismissed. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.